If you're my age or older, you've heard of Steve McQueen. In the 60s and the 70s, he was a bona fide movie star. He was the hottest actor in Hollywood. He was known as the King of Cool. He starred in movies like Bullet, The Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape. He had it all, and he seeked after everything. He had fame, he had fortune, he tried drugs, he tried alcohol, he was a stock car racer, he raced motorcycles, he had it all. By his own admission, this is what he said, I live for myself and I answer to nobody. But in the 70s, he came to the point where he realized that having it all did not meet the needs of his life. And so he left Los Angeles, he left Hollywood, and he went up into Northwest California. He decided that he wanted to learn how to be a pilot, so he hired this stunt pilot named Sammy Mason to teach him to fly. And so he and Sammy Mason would be in the cockpit cockpit of that, that plane day after day as Sammy was teaching Steve McQueen how to fly. Steve McQueen would observe Sammy Mason, and he noticed it was something different about Sammy. And one day, Steve asked him, so what's different about you? And Sammy said, well, it's Jesus. It's my faith in Jesus. Jesus has made a difference in my life. And a couple of weeks later, Steve McQueen asked Sammy if he could go to church with him. Sammy went to Ventura Missionary Church. And, and Sammy said, of course. And, and so Steve McQueen started going to this, this church with, with Sammy Mason. And they would sit up in the balcony and they would listen to God's word preached Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, until one day, God's Holy Spirit touched Steve McQueen's heart, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he was supernaturally born again. Within six months, he was diagnosed with cancer, and within a year, he died. My question to you this morning is this, is it possible Toward the end of our life, as we come to the end of life as we know it, is it possible, really possible, to be dramatically changed? To give your heart and life to Jesus when you're coming to the end of your journey? Well, this morning, what I want us to focus on is what I believe is the most dramatic deathbed conversion that has ever occurred in the history of mankind. It occurred to someone we know as the thief on the cross. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to to Luke chapter 23. We're in a series that we've called Faces from the Cross. And if you're new and you haven't been here for the last several weeks, so far we've, we've looked at two people. We looked at Barabbas. And Barabbas was this notorious criminal that Jesus literally died in his place. Jesus died on the cross that was built for Barabbas. Last week, we we looked at Simon. Simon was this man who who came with his family to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and he was snatched out from the crowd, and he was forced to carry the cross of Jesus. But today, we're going to focus on this thief. And, And the story of these two thieves that were crucified with Jesus are found, it's found in in all four of the Gospels. Now, Matthew and Mark and John's Gospel, they really just give us a little snapshot of this story. 
But Luke's gospel goes into detail. And so that's why we're going to focus on Luke's gospel. So if you have your Bibles open, I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 2. Listen to what God's word says. Two others, both criminals, were, were led out to be executed with him, with Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on the right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. Sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when we have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now two thieves hung on crosses with Jesus that day, one on either side. Both were going through the same thing. They were dying painful, horrific, excruciating deaths. And both of these men made decisions that affected their eternal destiny. One, because of his decision, went to heaven. The other, because of his decision, went to hell. The decisions that they made that day changed everything. Now, why did the one go to heaven? That's what I want us to focus on this morning. And as we do, there's three truths in this passage that you need to hear because these things are vital to each and every one of us who are here today. Because I believe with all my heart, there are some of us in this room, maybe, maybe a lot of us, and we know the facts about Jesus. We can, we can recite the stories about Jesus. But if we were honest, I mean, we were really honest, we would have to acknowledge, we'd have to admit that, that there's never been a real change in our life. Our life has never been transformed. So what was it about this thief that so changed him that he ended up going to heaven instead of hell with the other thief? Three things. First of all, he recognized his guilt. We are told that, that while they were hanging there on that cross, one of the criminals began hurling insults at Jesus. The word for scoff in verse 9 is the Greek word for blasphemy. Now in a secular sense, 
It means more than just an insult. To blaspheme someone in a secular sense means that you are hurling every curse word imaginable at them. You are giving them a good cussing out with every single word you know. That, that's what it means in a secular sense. But in a spiritual sense, it means to speak out against God. In other words, this thief was blaming God for where he was. He was blaming God for what he was experiencing. And isn't that what a lot of us do? I mean, instead of acknowledging that it's our decisions, our choices, that oftentimes have led us to what we are going through, we want to blame God. We want to say, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why haven't you done something about this? And so this criminal was blaspheming Jesus. The tense of the word there lets us know that, that he didn't just do this once. He kept on doing it. Most likely for hours. While they were hanging on that cross, he continued to curse and mock Jesus. After a while, though, the other criminal that was on the other side of Jesus yelled out, Don't you fear God? Now, understand, you may be thinking that this one criminal on this side, I mean, he was a bad dude. And this other criminal, I mean, he really had a good heart. He had a good mom. He had a good dad. But deep down inside, he was a good guy. He wasn't. You see, both of these men were vile, wicked men. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel all use different words to describe them. But when you look at these words, you discover that these just weren't ordinary thieves. These weren't common criminals. These were hardened men who had done awful, terrible things. Today, we would say that they were gangbangers. They were members of the mafia. They were members of the underworld. These men were hoodlums, thugs. They were bad guys. They were the kind of men that would kill you for profit because someone paid them. Or they would just kill you for fun because they wanted to. I believe there's a good chance this is my speculation, but I believe there was a good chance that the two men that were hanging there with Jesus were members of Barabbas' gang. You see, the Bible tells us that Barabbas was a notorious criminal, well known. He was a leader in the mafia, the underworld. And he was the one that was supposed to be on that cross. Don't forget that. Barabbas was supposed to be where Jesus was, but Jesus took him his place. It was supposed to be Barabbas in the middle and these two men on either side. Why? I mean, why were these two men hanging on a cross next to where Barabbas was supposed to be hanging? I believe it was because they were his lieutenants. They were his henchmen. They were his right-hand men in all the crime that they committed. And so understand, these men were not good men. They were awful men. They had done vile, evil things. But then something happens. One of the criminals that is hanging there 
recognizes his need. He recognizes his guilt. Now, if you just read Luke's account, you would think that that could have happened at any point, any time. It may have happened while he was in prison or anything else like that, but that's not what happened. When you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew 27 says, even the revolutionaries, plural, who were crucified with him, ridiculed him in the same way. And so when Jesus was hanging on that cross, this blasphemous words were coming from his right and blasphemous words were coming from his left. Both of these men were shouting out these insults, these scoffs, these blasphemous thoughts at Jesus. But then something happened. The Bible doesn't tell us what. We don't know whether it was the, the criminal just observing Jesus. We don't know whether he had a conversation with Jesus. We don't know what happened, but we know something happened. We know at some point while he was hanging on that cross, his heart was changed. Maybe it was because he heard Jesus cry out over and over, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Remember, if you were with us last year when we were looking at the sayings that Jesus had from the cross, we, we discovered that Jesus didn't say this once over and over and over again. While Jesus was on that cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. He would look at someone and he would say, Father, forgive them. He would look at someone else and he would say, Father, forgive them. He would look at someone else and he would say, Father, forgive them. I imagine as Jesus was on that cross and, and they, were, they were yelling these blasphemous words at Jesus, Jesus would look and he would say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. We'd look at the other one and he would say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was the compassion in Jesus' eyes because I believe Jesus' eyes could melt a human heart. I, I believe Jesus had a way of just looking at someone that could cause them to come under conviction and, and cry out for the mercy of God. We don't know what happened. But what we do know happened is he was changed. His heart was changed. He, he, he turned almost instantly from being this hardened criminal that was hurling out blasphemy at Jesus to someone who was defending Jesus. What happened? Here's what I believe. He came under conviction. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of our sin, of our need for righteousness. We don't have any. And that there is a judgment to come. I believe the Holy Spirit of God touched his heart. And he responded. I remember as if it were yesterday when the Holy Spirit convicted me. I grew up in a pastor's home. I mean, I was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I, man, I knew the Bible as a kid probably better than most of you do right now. I mean, that's what happens when you grow up in a pastor's home you just learned the word but all of my bible knowledge wouldn't save me one sunday i was in church i have no clue what my dad preached on but what i do know is i sat in that seat at the back of the church for the first time in my life i was overwhelmed with guilt 
I was convicted. Now, hear me. I had felt guilt before when my dad caught me for doing something wrong. When I was smoking cigarettes behind the barn out in the country. When I caught the car on fire playing with the cigarette lighter. Yeah, those kind of things bring guilt on. But, but this guilt was, was different than that. I was sitting there in church and I knew for the very first time in my life that I was guilty before God. And I knew apart from his grace and his mercy, I was going to die and spend eternity in hell. I would have never known that on my own. The Holy Spirit convicted me. And my life was changed. This thief on the cross said three things as he was on that cross. I believe that's important for us to hear. He, he first of all said, don't you fear God? And I would ask you today, do you fear God? Do you fear God? You see, you need to understand today that the first thing you need to be saved is not to understand the love of God. The first thing you need to be saved is you need to fear God. Apart from fearing God, you will never understand the love of God and you will never understand the grace of God. And I'm afraid in our church today, there are very few people who really understand what it means to fear God. Dean Ng is an unbeliever who lived a generation ago. He's died now, but, but this is what he said. He said, there never was a time when the fear of God played so small a part in men and women's real religion as it does now. And he's an unbeliever. We are not afraid as early generations were afraid of God's judgment. The decay of fear as an element in vital religion is one of the most significant features of our time. We no longer fear God. And yet when Jesus was with his disciples, he warned them. He said, don't fear those who have the power to kill your body. But rather fear the one who has the power to destroy your body and soul for all eternity. That's God. Today we're more afraid of death than we are the one who holds the keys of death and hell. We're more afraid of, of the thunder than we are of the one who claps his hand and causes the thunder. We're more afraid of earthquakes than we are the one who, who whispers and causes the earth to quake. We need to fear God. A.W. Tozier said this. He said, no one can know the true grace of God who has not first known the fear of God. You see, it is the fear of God that leads us to faith in God. Where there is no fear, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, there is no faith. And I believe one of the reasons we aren't experiencing the fear of God is because we do not have a clue about the holiness of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah entered into the presence of God and he saw the seraphim singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Bible says that Isaiah was overwhelmed and he said, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a sinner and I have no hope. That's what he was basically saying there. 
You see, it is the fear of God that opens our eyes to our need. It's the fear of God that drives us to our knees in repentance. It's the fear of God that causes us to cry out to God for mercy. Do you not fear God? Notice the second thing he said. He said, we deserve to die. It's the second problem with our generation. Most of us think that we deserve heaven. We look at our life and we think we're pretty good and God should give us heaven because we're pretty good. We've got this entitlement mentality like God owes us something. And I want you to hear me. According to God's word, the only thing that God owes you is death and hell. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. Don't you fear God? We deserve to die. We're sinners. We're guilty. Do you remember what Peter said when when he came to a partial understanding of who Jesus was? He didn't even know Jesus completely. But he came to this partial understanding of who Jesus was. And he said, depart from me because I am a sinful man. Do you not fear God? We deserve death. And then he said, this man has done nothing wrong. As as he was on that cross, he not only recognized his sinfulness, but he recognized Jesus' sinlessness. He, He understood there's only one innocent man hanging on these crosses, and it's the one in the center. And that's what led him to the second thing that he did. He recognized his guilt. Second thing, he reached out to Jesus. You remember what he said? He looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Remember that sign that was above Jesus' head? This is the king of the Jews. It was put there to make fun of Jesus, to mock Jesus. But this thief that was hanging on that cross, he recognized this man hanging here, he is a king. He said, remember me. You come into your kingdom. Jesus didn't look like a king. He was covered in dirt and blood. He was so disfigured that you couldn't even recognize him. The smell of urine and most likely excrement coming from him would have been nauseating. He didn't look like a king. This thief, he he never saw Jesus walk on water. He never saw him calm the sea. He he never saw him feed the multitude or heal the sick. He, He most likely knew nothing about Old Testament prophecy. But here on this cross... As he came to understand his sinfulness, he understood that his only hope was the one that was hanging beside him on a cross. And he reached out to Jesus. Listen, the first two things that you have to do to be saved are simple. You have to recognize your need. 
You've got to come to the point where you are broken over your sin. And until you're broken over sin, you'll never be saved. You may know the facts. You may can tell the stories. But salvation, true salvation, begins with being broken before God. We recognize our best efforts are not good enough. And so what do we do? We reach out to the only one who offers hope. That's Jesus. We cry out to him. We ask for his help. We ask for his mercy. And that's what he did. And then he received Jesus' promise. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, today, 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 you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, now, did this criminal, did this thief, did he do any good deeds that warded him getting there? No. Did he have some religious observance that he went through that caused him to get there? Absolutely not. There was nothing that he had to offer. All he could do was just cry out to Jesus and say, remember me. And Jesus said, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. That word paradise is an interesting word. The Greek word for paradise is, is a word that comes from a Persian word that means a, a walled park or an enclosed garden. When a Persian king wanted to honor someone, they would take that person on a private walk in their enclosed garden. And Jesus was saying to this thief, today, you and I are going to be walking in the garden of God. You're going to be with me. Not because of your goodness, but because of my grace. You're going to be there. And, and that's our only hope. Now, now, why were there two people crucified with Jesus that day? I mean, I mean, understand, three people being crucified, that was not the norm. There were times that hundreds of people were crucified by the Romans at one time. Hundreds. Typically, they would crucify multiple people, 5, 10, 15 people outside of Jerusalem when they were crucified. Why were there just two people crucified with Jesus? Well, understand with God, nothing happens by chance. God is using everything. And I believe that criminal on the right and on the left, they represent all of humanity. You see, humanity isn't divided up geographically or, or economically or racially or even politically. Humanity is not even divided up into the good people and the bad people because we're all bad. Each and every one of us, just like these two thieves, these two criminals, we're bad. You see, humanity is divided up into those who receive Jesus and those who reject Jesus. That's how humanity is divided up. That and only that. So what about you? Which side are, are you on? Have you received him? If you come to that point where you feared God... You've recognized your guilt. You've recognized who he is and you've cried out to him for mercy. Or you're in the group that's rejected him. Maybe you know about him. 
You can spout the facts off as good as anybody. But you've never been changed like this thief that day before he died. I'm, I'm here to tell you, there's nothing more important than responding to Jesus when he calls. I, I don't know what happened that caused that thief to respond to Jesus. I, I don't know what it was that caused me to come under conviction back when I was a young, a young boy. But what I do know is when Jesus called my name, I responded. I answered the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What that says to me is there are times when it's too late to call on him. I don't understand that completely and totally, but I do think that you can harden your heart. You can close your ears to God's word to the point that you no longer hear. And so when God calls, you better respond. Is God calling you? Do you know that you need Jesus as your Savior today? If you know that, it's not because of anything I've said. It's because His Holy Spirit is drawing you just like He did that thief hanging on that cross. There's a song that was written a hundred years ago. When I was growing up, we would sing it in church. There's a modern version of it that we sing sometimes. But the name of the song is There is a Fount. I want you to listen to the first verse. It says, there is a fountain filled with blood. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. When you and I as sinners have the blood of Jesus poured into our lives, it washes our sins away. Listen to the second verse. The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And there may I, listen, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. That thief, he doesn't hold a candle to the evil and wicked in my life. I don't know what he's done. I know it's been forgiven. I know what I've done. Praise God, it's been forgiven. And the same can be true of you. But you have to humble yourself. Cry out to God. Beg him for mercy. And he'll hear respond and you'll save so would you close your eyes with me bow your head and I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey but if you're here and you know and I believe I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you today and you know you know that you need to respond to Jesus offer of grace and forgiveness and I'm asking you today don't harden your heart and reject him. Receive him and discover the life that he has for you. If that's what you want, let me encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear 
Jesus. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. So sorry. I'm tired of living my way. I need you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death. Today I'm giving you my life. I'm yours. Do what I can't do. Change me. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. I surrender everything to you right now. I'm yours. Thank you for hearing my prayer.